we started this series on what we believe and why, and now we're in the fifth part uh, of it, the fifth sermon. And I wanted to close with this today because what we've been really talking about is the word of God. And we talked about the Apostles' Creed. Then we talked about the Westminster Confession. And then last week we started with our Baptist faith and message and, and how all of that applies to our life today. And if you were here last week, we named the three main things about the Word of God. And we didn't go into a deep study, but enough that I think that you understand that, that God gave us his Word through revelation, inspiration. And then what was the third one? Illumination. And that's where we ended Yes, God already did all these other things, but what does it mean to me? What does it mean to you? And and how does God illuminate his way to turn the light on or illuminate what God is, wants us to be and think and feel and do? And so I want to jump right in and give you these five things. Um, and I hope that this is to tremendously, I think, um, be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. So this is important. Number one, I'm going to start with it. You must deeply love God's word. You must deeply love God's word. Folks, illumination starts with the Lord. He's the one with the light. Amen. And I'm never going to see the light if I don't value the Bible enough to pick it up and to read it. You know, I think I've kind of learned over all these years of ministry that usually whatever a person chooses to read is probably what they love the most. And I mean, I know in school, a lot of you, you've got to read certain things in school. I know that. Or maybe if you're in your job, you've got to read reports or things like that. But I'm talking about whenever you are on your own time, usually what you choose to read is an indication, you know, of, of what you really love. And I've lived long enough now to know that in the end, I usually do what I love to do. I mean, we end up doing that. In fact, David said in Psalm 119, verse 97, how I love your teachings. I think about them all day long. You don't think about something all day long unless you love it. So I'm talking about loving the, the, the word of God, not, not the page, not the cover, but the, the living word of God. And, and folks, the Bible is a living book. Okay, it is not like every other book. It is, it is not a dead book. Um, and, and, and it tells me the truth. And I want to develop that kind of a love in my life for the truth of the Lord. Now, one of the ways that you develop that love is by experience of putting God's truth in your heart and in your life. I chose this verse because of what it says and how it says it. First Peter 1 Peter 1.23. He's talking to believers. This is to Christians. For you've been born of imperishable. How? Through the living and enduring word of God. Let me give you a quick farmer quiz. Real simple one. Got another quiz later. But this is simple. If a farmer plants corn, what does he get? If he plants watermelon seeds, what does he get? Squash, he gets. So here's what I'm saying. And this is what Peter's trying to say. If you plant a perishable seed, you're going to get something that is perishable, something that doesn't last. But if you plant an imperishable seed, then you're going to get things that last. They're imperishable. So one of the reasons that I have struggled in my life at times when I have is because of this. I have sown 
perishable seed expecting to get an imperishable crop out of it. Does that make sense at all? For instance, when I wanted joy in my life and I heard about joy is an imperishable quality. But what I usually did was I went out and I would sow per- or you plant or for some of you, maybe a trip to Disney World or you plant a, a perishable seed of going to a movie or but but you plant happiness and you get a crop of happiness. But that doesn't last. If you want imperishable joy, you've got to plant the imperishable seed of the word of God and let it become alive in your life. I thought about the same thing. I've wanted, I wanted to be fulfilled in my life. That's an imperishable kind of a quality. But what do we usually do when we want to be fulfilled? We go out and we plant a perishable seed. For instance, in your career, well, I want to make it up the ladder. I want to do this. I want to do that. Folks, you're, are, are you listening to this? Your career is not going to last forever. <clears throat> My career is not going to last forever. And so I want to, to, in fact, the best that I can get out of it right now, the truth of God's word in my life, that will bring me fulfillment. You want hope? You get it from the imperishable seed of God's word. Joy, the same thing. Now, something happened to me Thursday night. Um, I'm in my garage. Nancy leaves early, comes back here for praise and worship practice. I take that time to go in the garage for my prayer time and to pray for them and what they'll be doing here and so forth and for Sunday. And, 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 and I just got this unbelievable feeling. And I, and I, I know that I can't be alone in this, but here I am at 70 years of age, 40 years in ministry, and I'm sitting there and it just it almost overwhelmed me to the point of tears. And it was, Lord, why didn't I have this feeling? Why didn't I have this passion when I was 30 or 35? Lord, I mean, I mean, feel that way to death than I was then. And the closer you get to something, the more interested you get in it. Believe me, young folks, that's true. And so I, I think that, that now that I've studied this, you know, as we're going to see some more things here about God's word, I think that it's a natural sequence that you, you, you grow, you mature, and that God doesn't look maybe down, unless you're sinning, but God doesn't look down and say, well, you're not growing fast enough for me and da-da-da-da-da. But I had this overwhelming sense of a loss. You know, I just wished I'd have, I wished I could go back to when I was ordained and have this feeling. But you know what? God gave me some other insights. So go to number two. I can make a choice to spiritually understand God's word. Spiritually understand meant to be understood. Okay, it's not a, God is not a hiding thing that God's trying to, okay, it's not a, God is not a hiding thing that God's trying to keep us from learning about him. It is, that means God's spirit is speaking to our spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that the Bible, and we talked about this last week, is not logical or historically true, all those things. But as we said a while ago, and as Peter said, the Bible is not a dead book. It is meant to be understood, and it is the only book I know of that when you read it, if you're a believer, the author is always there with you. The Holy Spirit is there. So a couple of things under this point I want you to write down. 
God will make me able to understand the Bible. I believe that when I began a relationship with the Lord through the Lord Jesus Christ, that one of the gifts was the ability through the Holy Spirit to understand the Bible. No, not all of it. Not not growth thing, that maturity thing. But in fact, I think it's good that we ask the Lord to... I think it's good that we ask the Lord to help us to understand it, you know, and that that we tell him. In fact, I had it later in my notes, but I'll give it to you now. Um, when When I read the Bible now, the first thing I do, whether I'm in my office here or my office at home, is I will pray. And I will say, Lord, please reveal to me what you want me to learn from this today. You know, if there's something that you, I need to know, Lord, if I need comfort in this area, if I need just challenge in this area, Lord, reveal it to me. And I'm reading Leviticus and Numbers in my daily Bible reading. And that's not really, you know, exciting stuff yet. But the Lord, you know what? The Lord has spoken to me through that. He's let me know I'm a God of detail. You know, I'm a God of holiness I'm a God that will make you able to understand. Now, when you got married, did you instantly understand your husband or wife? And in fact, you, you still don't understand your husband and you certainly don't understand your wife. Okay. And the same thing is true with God's word. There's things that I understand and I understand them immediately, but there's some things that, that it's going to take me the rest of my life probably. So I'm able to understand. Secondly, I can't blame it on somebody else. I can't stand before the Lord one day and say, well, you know, Lord, I listened to this false teacher and he was saying this and that, and I just fell for it. No, I'm responsible. And let me just, are you listening today? Don't ever read a book. Don't ever listen to a sermon at Gulf to Lake Church or anywhere else that you don't check against the truth of the Bible. That ought to be, and, and, and one of the things that I know about our church and that I love about our church, I know that if I preach a doctrine or something that is wrong, I'm going to get an email, you know, and, and it'll be nice, but it'll say, where did you see that? You know, give me the scripture for that or something like that. But being responsible for the Bible also means I'm responsible for any doubts that I may have. And I don't have any doubts that a lot of you have some doubts about the Bible. There was a man you may have heard of named Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, in the early, early years of his ministry, he had doubts because he had this one friend that kept bringing up all these intellectual doctrinal things that he said just can't be true. And they, they contradict each other in the Bible and on and on. And he was at a camp in the mountains of San Bernardino, California. And one evening he took his Bible and he walked out of the camp at night and he laid his Bible. And this is in his book, just as I am. He laid his Bible open on that, the trunk stump of that tree and he started praying and asking God saying, God, you know, I, I am going to give my life to you. I need to know. And he said, it was like the Lord's understand. You don't understand the gesture. And, and I told the first service, it's like right now at this moment, there's things I do not understand that are supposedly as simple as pie. And that is right now, if I had a radio up here, I could turn a radio on and there are waves in this room right now. There's waves of people talking. There's waves of music. And I can tune in and, and hear it. I don't understand that. 
And yet y'all are sitting there with, with iPads and, and cell phones and things like that. But I don't doubt it, right? I accept it. And the same thing is going to be true in the Bible. And Billy Graham said that the moment he made that decision, I am going to believe your word. I'm going to preach your word and I'm not going to doubt your word. That's when his ministry took off because he got rid of those doubts. It is our job. Number three, if you want to turn the light on, then you've got to accurately handle God's word. Accurately handle God's word. All right, let's do that second little quiz here. I'm going to say some phrases, and you tell me fact or fiction of whether it's in the Bible or not. If it's not, say fiction. If it is, say that's a fact. Are you ready? Here it is. First one. There is no rest for the wicked. Fact or fiction? Y'all are afraid to say it, aren't you? (laughs) Afraid to be caught. Fact or fiction? That is a fact. That is what the Bible says. There is no rest for the wicked. How about this? God helps those who help themselves. Fiction. That was Benjamin Franklin. That's not in the Bible. How about this? Moderation in all things. Fiction. It teaches about moderation, but it never says that. That's fiction. That was Socrates. It's not, it's not found in the Bible. You don't know what's in it. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. You know, it's an amazing thing of how people will take words or a phrase out of the Bible and twist them for what they want to believe. And there's a lot of words and a lot of phrases in the Bible where it would be easy to do that. So how do you keep from being fooled? Um, and well, you can apply some simple rules. I'm going to give you three quick ones today. There's about eight or nine, but let me give you three quick ones. One, and they're listed in your notes there. And that is this. You always understand the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament. All right. Anytime somebody's basing an argument of what you ought to do uh, and how you should live your life based on the Old Testament, you need to look at the New Testament to see if there's some more light there so that you can understand that. For instance, I could take you to places in the Old Testament and people this and do not eat this. Oh, it's in there. But if you go to the New Testament for clarification, you'll see Peter having a vision And God bringing down this big sheet with every kind of animal in it and saying, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, no, Lord, I've never, ever put anything like that. He said, what I call clean, don't you call unclean. And then later, Paul, you know, did the same thing. He said, if we, if we give thanks for it, you know, then, then it's okay to eat it. So, you know, we don't do that today. Old Testament sacrifices. We don't do that today. Why? Because Jesus ended it all. You can go to the New Testament and you find the answer. You know, they used to tell us many, many years ago that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And that might be some truth to that. But here's another. In light of the context that they're written in. See, it's another way that people try to twist the Bible. See, it's another way that people try to twist the Bible. Take a word or a phrase here or there. For instance, there is a phrase in the Bible, and this is fact, not fiction, that says, eat, drink, and be merry. 
That's a cool phrase. Some of you are thinking, I wish you'd preach that today. You know, I can do that. Eat, drink, and be merry. But if you just took that and you think, well, hey, see right there, that I can go live this kind of a lifestyle that I want to. But folks, that's taking it out of context. It doesn't just say eat, drink, and be merry. You know what it says? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you may die. And what Paul is doing is saying in the resurrection, if there is no resurrection, you know, we're in our sin. So you might as well go out today and eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you're going to die. So you can't take phrases and people do that. I hear it on the news all the time. Here's a third one. Under There's a lot of historical passages in the Bible. Let's look at one quickly. The, the life of David. You know, David, the king of Israel, sometimes, in fact, most of the time, David did the right thing, but sometimes he did the wrong thing, as we know from his life. Samuel, or or wherever it may be, I don't ever see in there in my Bible a parenthesis, David's doing the wrong thing here. You don't see that. You know, you you don't, you, you have to figure that out by looking at the doctrinal passages that the Bible talks about. For instance, you know, well, David did this or, you know, Solomon did this. No, you've got to go find out what God says about it. For instance, David had multiple wives. I think six or eight. So that must be, is, is it a good thing then to have a lot of wives? No, it doesn't say, no, it doesn't say, It doesn't say there when it tells me about these are the wives of David and these are the kids they had. It doesn't say, now understand this is wrong. God doesn't put it in there like that. But I got these doctrinal passages all the way back to Genesis, which says, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and the two will become one. It doesn't say the eight will become one or the 10 will become one. But the two will become one. So it helps you to accurately handle the Bible. And then there's a fourth key, and that is you must personally study the Bible. Personally study the Bible. And I'm not talking about you just hearing it for 30 minutes on Sunday when you come to church. There needs to be a time in your life where you open the Bible. And you study the Bible and see what God has, has to say to you. And folks, you know, when I first started out, we had, you know, on your desk, you had a concordance and you had uh, Bible dictionaries and you had uh, enci- the International Standard Bible encyclopedias, you know, and you had to look up all this stuff. Today, you just get on the internet. You can Google anything. You can, you can pull up a whole concordance. You can pull up all the Bible dictionaries and uh, expository dictionaries of Old and New Testament words and how to translate them from one language to the next. I mean, it's all right there. We don't, we don't have an excuse about that. So you're dealing with something today. Go home and look it up. You know, I had somebody told me after the first service, you know, I really i am dealing with, I need hope in my life. I said, go Google the word hope. Look at a concordance, and everywhere that word is in the Bible, read that. Some won't apply to you, but many of them will hit you right between the eyes, you know, for what you need. But I like what I read that he said about the three stages of Bible study. He said about the three stages of Bible study. He said there's a castor oil stage, a shredded wheat stage, 
and a strawberry and cream stage. And he says, as you start reading the Bible and you start learning the Bible, he said, that's what it's going to be, castor oil, medicine that's hard to get down. You know, you read something and you think, man, I don't want to do that. That's going to change how I've got to live my life, you know, and it's hard to take. And he said, and then sometimes it's like shredded wheat. It's that dry, crunchy stuff. Now, some of you probably like shredded wheat, but you probably are are weird and you like grape nuts and all that other stuff too. You're strange people. But I'm talking about most of us. We don't like that dry crunch. You know, um, you keep reading and you keep learning and you keep understanding. And then he said it gets to where it's like strawberries and cream. And folks, I can tell you that, not bragging in any way whatsoever. But now after all these years, when I read it, it's like strawberries and cream. Even Numbers and Leviticus and things like that. You know, I'm learning things in there. God's speaking to my heart and things like that. But you need to personally study the Bible. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And then the last thing you may realize and knew that I was coming there because I've quoted this verse five Sundays in a row. You actively live God's word. You don't just hear it. You actively live it. Because folks, in all the creeds, in all the confessions, in all the statements of faith, there's one reason for them. It's James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. And you can, listen, when you go to the Bible and you're about to read, you can open with a prayer saying, Lord, open my heart, open my mind as I read this. I don't care what passage it is. Open, And you can, you can read that. And so I, w- I would, you know, encourage you to actively live God's word. Know that you have the complete, inerrant, infallible word of God. And whatever it speaks on you, you can trust it uh, and you can, you can live your life by it and, and know that you're doing the right thing. I want to close with something here because I thought it was kind of humorous as well as re- leading me to my last statements for today. G.K. Chesterton, a great, great author and teacher of years ago. In fact, I think from what I've read of him, he's kind of like the, was the C.S. Lewis of his time. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, in case some of you go home and Google. He had a good sense of humor that people didn't realize. And one day at a pastor's conference, there were hundreds of pastors there. And he was speaking to them. And then they had a question and answer time. And one of the pastors said, if you were stranded on a desert island, what one book would you want to have with you? Well, of course, they're all thinking he's going to go into a long dissertation about the Bible and how awesome it is. And here's what he said. If I were stranded on a desert island, the book that I would want to have with me is Thomas's practical guide to shipbuilding. (laughs) See, there's a common sense about the Bible, folks. In one sense, all of us in here are stranded together on this island called planet Earth. 
And folks, I don't know about you, but we're longing for home. And we're longing to be in that place that's called heaven. I'm longing for perfection. A place where there's no more tears. There's no more pain. No more cancer. No more heart problems. No more CAT scans in MRI. Hope while you wait. And to give you direction for your life. And it is a book that will lead you safely home. Let's pray. Father, I just want to recognize your glory. How awesome you are. And not only did you prepare and plan and execute salvation for us. You then put it for us in this unbelievable book called the Bible. And we can know that it is alive. And I pray for this church that those that listened this morning and today, maybe that's why we had such full attendance today, both services, because you wanted people to hear about your word and that they can depend on it for themselves. I pray that they will. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand.